back home today. We had a wonderful trip to Pakistan. I've been looking forward to sharing with you today what the Lord did on that missions trip. And I am so thankful for our church family and for everyone who sacrificially gave so that we could go to Pakistan and, and minister to those beautiful people. After I'd been there several days, I had uh, someone come up to me, a young man, and he looked at me and he said, well, what do you like best about Pakistan? And without any hesitation, I looked at him and I said, the people. God just broke my heart for the people. In Isaiah chapter 60, verse 2, it's a prophetic passage of Scripture. It's talking about the church age. And it talks about, in verse 2, a deep darkness covering the people. And that's what I saw. People living, so many of them, without Jesus. And as I was preparing for today, I just want to share with you some of the things that the Lord highlighted to me personally on the trip. So I've entitled the message today, Lessons from Pakistan. And I pray that they'll stir your heart. The first lesson we find in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, that great passage of Scripture. In verse 19 it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And because, church, we gave... We were able to go, and we were able to make disciples. And I am so thankful for each and every one of you, and I'm thankful for the prayers. The first, uh, flip over to the next slide. This is the first crusade that we did in Karachi. We arrived in Karachi, and the day we arrived in Karachi, the former prime minister experienced an assassination attempt, and he was shot in the leg. Because of that, there were national riots, and there were riots in Karachi. And so we were concerned we weren't going to be able to have the crusade. We had already spent the money for the buses, and the way they do the crusades, they send the buses, they hire them, and they send them to various parts of the city. Karachi had about 17 million people in that city. And as they send the buses out, they tell them, we're not going to pay you unless you bring the buses back full. So the bus drivers do everything they can to get people on the bus and to bring them to the crusade. And for months they had been praying. The church there that was our main host... Uh, Hebrun was the pastor. That's him standing there, and that's Renee. And his church, they have about 22 churches or 23 in their organization. And they had been fasting for two solid months, fasting and praying for this night. And God answered the prayers. You can't tell it there, but there's 12,000 people 
And there were hundreds of people on the outside that couldn't get into the field because it was already full. And these people needed Jesus. And this night, I I just got a report, actually last night late because it takes time. What they do, when the people get back on the buses, there's a, a team member, and the team member on the bus will hand out cards to get their information, their addresses, or if they have a phone, their phone number. And they, on the card, they will ask them, if you made a commitment to Jesus Christ tonight at the crusade, I want you to check this box. And so they, it, they would gather them all back up, and then they would pass them out to the different pastors who pastored in various parts of the city. And it was just amazing. And Jared, don't go away. I'm, I haven't forgotten you. We have a missionary with us today, and I'm going to bring him up a little later. And out of 12,000 people, there were over 2,000 people that made a first-time commitment to Jesus. There were hundreds of people. There were hundreds of people that were healed. And in a crusade like this, you can't, on the large ones, you know, I love the large one and I love what God did, but I really love the smaller ones better because I could personally pray for people. But in an in a, in a event like this, we would just stand before the crowd and we'd say, take your hand and place it upon the area of your body if it's culturally acceptable. And we're going to pray that Jesus is going to come and He's going to touch you right now. And so you'd see people, you know, touching their bodies in different places. And after we prayed for people, there would be a line of people that would come with testimonies. One of the the, uh, 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 crusades that we were in, I uh, I was on the platform there, and, and a mother brought her little daughter that was about eight years old, nine years old. And she had this big smile, and her daughter had this big smile. And uh, we asked her, what, what did Jesus do for you? And she said, my daughter came tonight with a, a large growth under her chin on her neck. And she said, Jesus healed her and it's gone. And she had, she had me come, the mother had me come, and had me touch the, the, the daughter's chin. And it was just as smooth and just as perfect. So there were many miracles that God did. And, and I want to sh- share this. Pakistan is one of the 69 countries that makes up what we call the 1040 window. The 1040 window is, is a, an area from, from Africa that goes all the way through China. And in that area, it's 10 degrees north by 40 degrees north latitude. And in in that strip across there, two-thirds of the world's population lives. Two-thirds. And out of that two-thirds, 95% have never heard about Jesus. 95%. Church, the one thing that, that God struck in my heart is the first point I want you to remember the great commission has not changed since Jesus uttered the words 
There's a greater number of people alive today that have never heard Jesus than ever before. And church, we need to have a passion for the lost. And it's not just about sending a missions trip to Pakistan. It's about going to the neighbor across the street. It's about talking with someone at the water cooler at work. It's about going to school and letting your life be the light to them. People need Jesus. Amen? They need Him. There's approximately four and a half to five billion people that live within the 1040 window. It's the majority of the world's Muslims, Hindus, and Buddhists all live in this area. Pakistan itself has 213 million precious people. And they were very, very welcoming. So, church, I'm thankful that we made a difference. We're involved in the Great Commission. But my heart desires for us to do even more. Amen? Not just sending missions trips to different places in the world. And I encourage you, I want our church to be involved in missions trips where that the congregation... Now most of you probably wouldn't want to go to Pakistan. It was dangerous. They still execute Christians and people who blaspheme Allah. There were guards, police with AK-47s. The, the hotel that I was in had 12-foot walls and then round bob wire all around the walls. To get into the hotel, there was a massive gate that came up and down and they would stop every car. They would have you pop the trunk and pop the hood and they would look for any type of explosive. So it's not the good old USA. They didn't have the freedoms that we did. And, and I told you that the, there was an assassination attempt because of that. They locked down the cities. And we didn't know if we were going to be able to experience. We didn't know if we'd be able to, to have the crusade. But we get, began to pray. And the churches were praying. And we said, God, we've spent the money. We've come all this way. Lord, do whatever it takes. So the pastor went to the police headquarters and talked to the, the police chief. And the, and, the, and the evening police chief said, okay, you can go ahead and you can have your crusade. And he didn't tell me this, but I think he paid off the police chief. Because that's their culture. But then the next morning, the new police chief that came on the day shift said, no, you can't have it. So we had to go back to the police headquarters. And he didn't tell me this, but I think he had to pay him off too. But praise God, we gathered 12,000 people and we preached the Word of God and over 2,000 of them said yes to Jesus. <laughs> Hundreds of people gave their, not only gave their heart, but experienced miracles. Church, God is moving in the last days. He's promised He will pour out His Spirit in the last days. And we need to believe that. Amen? Sometimes it's we send missionaries. And sometimes we send them into areas where all they're doing is, is praying. And all they can 
they can do is, is to talk to one or two people. And over a period of a year or two years or four years on their term, there's, there's very few people that come to Jesus. And the Bible talks about that. It talks about there are some that are planting and some that are watering. And then God gives the harvest. And church, I've seen planting and I've seen watering. And I feel like we do a lot of that in the United States. But I experienced a harvest of souls. And I'm praying, God, give us a harvest in the United States. Give us a harvest in the United States. The second thing I saw that the Lord... I know. Mitch is giving me signals. He's got this big board up here trying to get my attention. I know, Jared's right there. I mentioned him a minute ago. I'm on a roll, though. <laughs> Number two, people are still hungry for God. You don't have crowds like that come. Look at them. That We were passing out Bibles. I passed out 200 Bibles myself. In every crusade, they're pass we were passing out hundreds of Bibles. And people were almost fighting one another to reach to the platform to grab a hold of one of the Bibles. People were coming and we were, we were praying for them. This, on, on the uh, left side, I'm praying for one of the pastors. This was a pastor's conference. There were about 400 pastors and leaders in this conference. And I was talking about the anointing. And at the end of the message, I preached twice that day in the pastor's conference. Then we went to a crusade that night. I preached three times that night. Or that day. And I said, Lord, I need some supernatural strength. <laughs> and God met us. And this is at one of the conference, or this was at one of the crusades, and I'm passing out Bibles. All those people up the, at the front had just committed their hearts to Jesus. And in the first crusade that I was preaching, we had 567 that committed their heart to Jesus. In the second one, we had 373. This is the first church that I spoke in in Karachi. And this is another church in Karachi. And Pastor Jim spoke in this one. On, on Sundays, we'd go from church to church and different ones of us would preach. And look at the beautiful, colorful clothing. These people, and these people are Christians, and notice there's not chairs. You're spoiled. They don't care that they don't have chairs. They come and they sit on the floor, and they take their shoes off before they enter God's house. Outside was a pile of shoes in front of every church that we would enter into. No matter how... Now, this, this church on the right is probably the nicest one that we were in. That was Pastor uh, Hebron's church, and it was the, the largest, one of the larger ones. And notice that the women were downstairs, and the men were upstairs. And this one, the women were on the left, and the men were on the right. And they, they separate them. That's cultural. It goes, dates back to biblical times. Notice also that the women all wore scarves. I told Melinda to wear a scarf today, and she refused. <laughs> I'm just kidding. 
But the whole time that Renee, when, you, when we had the picture of the Bible a while ago, you saw Renee and her head was always covered out of respect for the culture. It's, this isn't a, a, a Muslim issue. It's a uh, cultural issue. They have beautiful scarves, but they always cover their, the women cover their hair, their heads. People are still hungry for God. In John chapter 4, verse 35, it says, Do not say that there are still four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white to harvest. Jesus was walking with the disciples, and he encounters fields that had been planted, and they were growing, and they were green. But Jesus says, you want to wait for four months and then comes the harvest and he's talking spiritually and he's saying, you need to have spiritual vision and recognize the harvest is now. The harvest is now. And church, we reaped a harvest in Pakistan. Praise God. He had the harvest. But church, again, I want to see a harvest in Wasilla. I want to see a harvest of souls in the valley. I want to see a harvest of souls in Alaska and in the United States of America. The harvest Jesus was seeing in this passage I just read to you is He was looking and He was going to the woman at the well. He was going to the Samaritans. And He's saying there's a harvest there. We see in Psalm 42 and many other Psalms, verses like this, 42 and 1, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? There's many other Psalms that express a great hunger, a great desire to be in God's presence, to be in God's house, to experience Him. And church, those people were hungry. They don't have the the blessings that we do in this, this nation. It was some of the poorest people that I've ever encountered. Most of them didn't have vehicles. And a lot of them that did have transportation were driving Honda 70 motorcycles. I saw some very crazy things. NASCAR doesn't have anything on them. I saw six people on one Honda 70 motorcycle. And it was common to see three or four But I saw an entire family. I saw a mom and a dad and three kids all on a Honda 70. You went to the mall and there were thousands and thousands of Honda 70s. It made me want to purchase stock in Honda. But you could buy a Honda 70 for about $400 US. And they would buy on payments because many of them didn't make but in this part of the the world we have some of the poorest people and many of them in the 1040 window make between 250 and 500 US dollars for an entire year 
and they live on that. They're persecuted. Christians are known immediately just by the way they greet one another. Salamji. Everybody say that with me. Salamji. And I say Salamji. Because a Christian will say Salamji, and that means greetings. But if they're Muslim, they'll say Salamji, but then they'll add some other words that speak about Allah. So immediately, just by greeting, they know whether you're a Christian or whether you're Muslim. And Christians, many times they will not give them good jobs. They persecute them. They want to keep them in poverty. They don't want them to, to have good paying jobs. But God did some awesome things. They put me into a hotel when I was in Saival. And in the hotel, there hadn't been any guests, hardly at all. And I came, and the day they put me in, all of a sudden, the hotel started receiving all these people as guests. And the owner was a Muslim man. And he came to the pastor and told Pastor Adnan, he said, I want you to tell Pastor Milt that he brought blessing upon my hotel. And I had one of the, the men that was a bellhop and did a lot of things around there. He came to me and he, he kind of looked down the hall one way and he looked down the hall the other way. Anyway, he, he knocked at my door and, and he couldn't talk English. But he goes, he wanted me to pray for him. And I prayed for him and prayed for his family. People are looking. They want to know. Is God real? Does God care? Will God make a difference in my life? Does He have a plan for my life? All the same type questions that we ask here. And church, I want to tell you, yes, there is a God. Yes, He loves you. Yes, He cares about you. Yes, He has a plan for your life. He will guide you and direct you. And He will use you for His glory. Amen. These people, when they make a commitment to Jesus, it costs them. And they're willing to pay the price. It's interesting, but we think about the goal of the Christian life is to simply be obedient to God's Word. In church, that's not it. Yes, we, 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 we obey the Word of God. We apply it in our lives. But I want to read a verse in, out of Romans chapter 6, verse 17. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that, from, for, that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. Did you hear that? Yet you obeyed from the heart. How many of you want your kids to obey? How many of you want your kids to obey because you put fear in their lives? Some of you are going, yeah, maybe. No, we want our kids to love us 
And out of that response and that relationship of love, we desire for our children to be obedient to us. And that's the same thing God wants for us. Do you believe that? It is. Amen. God wants us to obey Him from a heart where the Holy Spirit has written those commandments on our hearts. We desire to live for God and we love him for what he's done for us and so we by showing that love we say lord i'm going to live for you in hebrews chapter 10 verse 16 it says but the holy spirit also witnesses to us for after he had said before this is the covenant i will make with them after those days said the lord now listen to this i will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds i will write them that's why we, we, we're obedient to God's Word. Amen? When you're, when you're thinking about passion and you're thinking about power, how can we gain more passion for the Lord? How can we gain passion and power in our lives? And I want to give you a simple little example. In Luke chapter 10, verse 38, Jesus and the disciples on their, on their way to Bethany and they come to the house of Martha and Mary and Lazarus. You remember the story. Mary comes and she sits at the feet of Jesus. And Martha gets upset because it was the etiquette of the day. Mary was just as responsible as Martha was to serve Jesus and the disciples. And so... Martha says something to Jesus about it, expecting Jesus to scold Mary and tell Mary to get in there and help your sister. But Jesus does just the opposite. What does Jesus do? He commends her because she wanted to be in His presence. She wanted to hear the words that Jesus was going to speak. She wanted to be at the feet of Jesus. And He says, Mary has chosen the best thing. Amen? Mary chose the best thing. The thing that can never be taken away from her. Church, I've never met anyone that at their deathbed that loved Jesus and loved His presence that said, oh, I wish I'd spent more time at work. I wish I'd spent more time playing sports. But I've heard them saying, oh, I wish I'd spent more time with Jesus. I wish I'd spent more time in His Word. These people were hungry for God. Go on to the next slide. Children are precious. I met so many beautiful children you, this is a, a pastor, and he's holding his little niece. And you see her eyes are, are, are dark around. It looks like she has mascara on. And I asked him, I said, isn't she a little young to have mascara? Oh, no, pastor, no, no. He, he takes me to Revelation chapter 3 in the Laodicean church, and it talks about eye salve. And this is an eye salve, and they apply it so that it looks attractive. But the little children, many of them, they would have that eye salve on them. 
And this is the, his little nephew. He invited me to his house. They were, they were so loving and welcoming. Psalm 127, verse 3, says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is their reward. I had probably more requests for healing for couples that wanted to have children than anything else. And I think there's an, an, a slide after this. Is there? Yeah. This was in Karachi. That was the first church that I preached in. But Renee had been there a year before. And this, this young lady had come and she had been married for years and they hadn't had children. And this time when we arrived, she came up and presented this new little precious baby and said, God answered your prayers. Yes, there's horrible things that take place in countries such as child slavery and child prostitution. But what I witnessed was parents that desired children and parents that loved their children and wanted their children to grow. I, I think I prayed, and when we, when we were in the smaller churches like this, I think I prayed and blessed every child they had. They would bring their children and say, bless Bless. And they wanted us to lay hands on their children and to bless them in Jesus' name. That they would grow in the things of God. That they would be mighty men and women of God. That was their heart's desire. And I'm thankful for that. One precious lady brought her, in one of the crusades, she brought her daughter up. And I could tell there was, there was problems with her daughter. Her daughter was paralyzed. She was probably four years old. And she was holding her. And from the waist down, her daughter was paralyzed. And she wanted us to pray for this precious little girl. And I didn't have any idea how to pray. So most of the time I was there, I didn't pray in English. They didn't understand it anyway. So I prayed in the Spirit. And I laid my hands on that precious little girl. And as I began to pray, her legs that had been paralyzed began to move. And she began to kick. And, and I was praying with so many, I didn't have time to just continue and pray like I'd want to because there were so many people that wanted prayer. But I prayed, Lord, you've promised who, you are the one that begins a good work and you're faithful to complete it. And I'm believing for total restoration for that precious little girl. 3 John verse 4 says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. The people of Pakistan, they weren't, this is going to get a little political here, they weren't focused on murdering their babies in their mother's womb. They weren't telling their little boys if they wanted to become a girl that they could. They weren't telling their little girls we can go and you can have an operation and you can become a boy. And I know that isn't politically correct today, but biblically, God created us male and female. And I pray for the United States of America to have a move of God where we stop this silliness 
and we quit. It's child abuse. I've heard numerous stories, and I'm getting political. I don't care. We need to hear it. The church needs to rise up. We need to cherish our children. We need to teach them about Jesus. And we need to see them grow to be mighty men and women of God. And that was the heart of the people of Pakistan. Do you have any more pictures under that? What's the next one? An honoring culture. I have never received so many flowers in my life. I like flowers. They're pretty. But I really don't enjoy receiving them. I like to give them to my wife. And she, loves, she puts them in a vase. And, you know, we enjoy them for a week. And even in the poorest of churches where they would just have like a hundred people and they, they would just be sitting on the floor and, and the people had very little. When we would come in, they would honor us with lays. And, and, and some of them were real flowers and others were uh, like this one. They were, they were made of plastic and different things. But they would, they would have you come and they would stand there and then they would have one of their elders in the church bring the lay and and. When, when it was my turn, I'd have to bend way over so that they could put it on me. And at first, I was very, very uncomfortable about this. Because I don't want any, anybody to make a fuss out of me. I'm very humbled to be a pastor, and I love God, and I love His people. But I don't want to be put up on some kind of pedestal. And I want all the worship and all the focus to be on Jesus. But it was their culture. They honored people. They cared about people. And 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17 says, Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God and honor the King. This picture on the right this was a, a Baptist bishop, and he's handing me flowers and welcoming him, welcoming me to his church. And his name was Abraham, and his wife's name was Sarah. And they had one son, and he goes, but he's William. <laughs> I thought, why? Why not Isaac? You're on a roll. But that's his son next to him, the young man. And I, I, he invited me over to his home. And he said, my father was bishop before me. And, he, and they, they, I was invited to numerous homes. And I, I just, I was very honored. But most of them don't have a, a dining table. Their houses are small. The, the rooms are small. And so they have a den, and they have a coffee table, and the coffee table serves as their dining table. But Abraham was blessed with a larger home, and he invited me, and he, we sat at this dining table. And as we came in, he goes, this was my father's chair. No one ever sat in this chair except for my father. 
And he said, now it is my chair. He said, no one sits in this chair but me. And then he looked at me. He said, but today, you're going to sit in my, my chair at the head of this table. They appreciated so much. I asked him, when was the last time you had someone from, from America come for your, your church? Or he, he was overseer of, I think, 20, 22 or 23 churches. And he said, it's been many years. And he so appreciated the fact that I would come to Saival. And Saival isn't as big as Lahore. It's not as big as Karachi. It was a small village of about 200,000. But I thought, how could we be biblical like that and show respect and honor for others and how God would use that? And finally, there's one more thing that I want to share with you. They believed in the power of the Holy Spirit. This was a pastor, and he traveled three and a half hours to get to this pastor's conference. At the end of the pastor's conference, they asked me to pray for every one of the pastors. And that little bowl there is, is a bowl of olive oil. They gave me some anointing oil and wanted me to anoint all the pastors and pray over them. And this pastor has a great testimony. He had been without work for seven months. And he was desperate. He couldn't provide for his family. And he came to this conference believing that God was going to give him a miracle. And I didn't know what everyone needed and I didn't know what he needed when I prayed for him. But the next day, he came all excited. He had this huge grin on his face. And he said, God answered your prayer. He said, I got up today and I got a phone call that I did not expect. He said, the phone call. The person said that God had moved their heart to give me a rickshaw. And a rickshaw, I don't, I don't think we got, I got a picture of a rickshaw. But uh, a rickshaw is a three-wheeled motorcycle. And it's used as a taxi. And they're only in the cities. You're not supposed to take them on the highways. But they use them to shuttle people because so many people don't have transportation of their own. And someone gave him, and he showed me a picture of it they sent him. It was beautiful. And he is starting his own taxi business. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6 says, Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. One thing that was amazing to me, the people desired 
an outpouring of God's Holy Spirit in their lives. Go on to the next picture. They were passionate and they wanted God such. This is Pastor Adnan and myself praying. That was right before we began one of the, uh, the, the meetings, the, the crusades. It didn't matter. Listen to this. This, this floored me. It didn't matter if the pastor was Baptist like Brother Abraham. It didn't matter if they were Presbyterian or Lutheran. It didn't matter what denomination that they came from. They all wanted God's Holy Spirit power. In the United States, we have denominations and they're family units. There's nothing wrong with that. They're just a, like the Michners is a family unit. I look at them as family units. But it's interesting in the United States, many of our denominations don't promote the power of God's Holy Spirit for your life. They don't believe in healing. They don't, they don't believe in, in signs and wonders and miracles. They don't believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit operating for today. But let me tell you, these people are living in deep darkness and they recognize the only way that they're going to have victory is not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord. They hunger and they desire for God to fill them with the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter what family group they're from. They want God to pour out His Holy Spirit upon them. And I love that. Do we have some more slides? This is one of the crusades. And all of these people standing there, and you can't hardly see, they were raising their hands. They were worshiping God. They had just said yes to Jesus, and now they were praying for God for more, for Him to fill their lives. There were many people that were baptized in the Holy Spirit. I didn't even focus on that. But they were hungry for God. They wanted God to move. Is there some more? Go ahead. Here's a, this is some more. Look at, they were all taking notes. They had their Bibles out and they were learning. Go ahead. Here, this is a, a pastor. This was my translator and his wife. And, and they were just lovely people of God and they were crying out for more of God. Go ahead. Here's some of the children. Here, here's a lady studying. She was in the leadership conference and a man studying in the leadership conference. Go ahead. Look at these beautiful ladies. Look at the, the ornate clothing. One, one of the messages that I preached while I was there, I felt the Lord give me, was out of uh, uh, Isaiah chapter 3 where it talks about a, a human list of things that we think are our self-worth. And in that list, it was, it was very unique. It talked about dresses and jewels. And it talked about various types of, uh, different types of jewelry and clothing and all these scarves and all these things. And I said, I want you to know I appreciate your beautiful dresses and your beautiful scarves and your beautiful jewelry, but those things are not the glory of God. Those things are not what gives you self-worth. Jesus gives you self-worth. And it's His glory.
that you want resting on your life. Amen? Go ahead. And I'm about, I've got to finish up. Jared's got to come. This is the pastor, and uh, he gave the testimony, and we're not going to take, it, take time to go through it. Go ahead. Is there anything else? That's it? Okay. So church, I want us to be a church that continues to focus on the Great Commission, a church that is hungry for God, a church that loves our children and acknowledges their precious, a church that respects others and honors others, and a church that believes in the mighty power of God's Holy Spirit for our lives. Amen. Will you stand with me? Jared, come on up here. This is Pastor Jared now turning into Missionary Jared. Pastor Jared pastored in Delta Junction for several years. The church became very healthy. The church is still healthy and strong. But God called him to a new ministry. And he, ha he has a heart that I've had for years. And that was, he's, well, I'm going to let you share it. I'm not going to say everything. But I want him to share with what God's called him to do. Currently, he's involved in a homeless ministry in Anchorage. But God's got new plans for him, and I want him to share that right quick. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for this opportunity to share with you today. If you could put up the first slide, um, just a little introduction for our family. This is my family. I'm Jared, and my wife is Vicki Myrick, and we have five children, Reagan, Jackson, Quincy, Harrison, and Grant, they couldn't be here today because some of the younger ones have colds, and we didn't want to share that with you guys, but like Pastor Milt was saying, we pastored in the church in Delta Junction, Alaska, for eight years, and before me and my wife met each other, God called us to Alaska and gave us a heart for up here, and as we were pastoring there, the church was doing well, praise God, but God gave a dream to me and my wife the same night. And begin to tell us that it was time for us to focus on a new aspect of ministry. And so we began to minister, God began to speak to us about the homeless in Anchorage. You can go to the next slide. Praise the Lord. God began to speak to us. And so we minister alongside the downtown soup kitchen there on 3rd and Cordova. And we minister in the alley, preaching, reading scripture, passing out tracts, Bibles, praying with people, just sitting with them. And sometimes the Holy Spirit just says, listen. Just listen and let them share their heart. And we've seen, we've become so overwhelmed by the need there. And I'm sure you have noticed the need as well. The needs among the homeless are so overwhelming. And they turn to everything to cope because of the, the hate, and the rejection, the abuse. I'm convinced many of them have never experienced love whatsoever in their life. And we want to love them as Christ. We've been asking the Lord, God, give us your heart for these precious people. Give us your heart for these that you've died for. And God is doing work. And we, we have church there on Sunday in the alley. We've been having church in unconventional ways. If you could go to the next slide. Um, and, and in the midst of service, we have had people passed out. Um, drunk. They've had people interrupt, coming, walking up, interrupting the service, just all sorts of things going on. And we've been having service there. And in the wintertime, we meet in a classroom upstairs. 
In one particular day, um, you can go to the next slide. We, it was snowing outside, pretty cold. And as I was beginning to put my stuff away, um, there was a, a young couple that began to ask for prayer. And they were separated from their children. And I smelled alcohol over them. And I began to ask them, hey, do you, um, can you imagine what it would be like if you woke up tomorrow with that desire for alcohol completely gone through the power of Jesus? And they, they begin to say, that sounds amazing. So we begin to pray. And right there on that cold, snowy day, they begin to shake and begin to say, what in the world is this warm feeling? I've never felt so warm before in my life. And I begin to tell them, that's the presence of God doing a work in your life. And their whole countenance changed. And they begin to cry and begin to say, thank you. And I said, no, it's not me. It's Jesus. And I'm so thankful for what God is doing there among the homeless. But we're also um, focused on the open churches. God has spoken to our hearts. And if you could go to the last slide, there's 11 AG churches right now without a pastor. And they are all around the edges, most of them except Glen Allen. They're all around the edges of the state. And the Lord has been speaking to me that the walls have come down. And we need to repair those as Nehemiah did. Out of these 11 churches, over half of them have been over two years without a pastor. And that is, it puts them in survival mode while the community really suffers. As no one is there to really reach them and carry a burden for them. They are a part of the body of Christ. And so there was a particular village in the village of Tetlin when we were pastoring in Delta Junction that went 30 years without a pastor. So an entire generation was raised up without any pastor in the village whatsoever. And so we feel the Spirit of the Lord rising up in us and saying, not in our generation. So we're going to go uh, focus on three churches especially and travel out one week out of the month, travel out to these places to encourage and strengthen and revive these places and tell them God hasn't forgotten them. And what the enemy may consider as a stronghold, I really sense in my spirit that there, while it may look dark in the natural, there is a dawn in the spirit coming, that Jesus is getting ready to move in these places. And so I'm just asking y'all to come alongside of us, to partner with us, especially in prayer. I believe, and I'm asking each of you, would you consider adopting one of these villages? I have them out there on our table, the village of each, and the name of each one. And I'm asking, would you just stand in the gap for one of those? Would you just take in the spirit and say, I, by the help of the Lord, I'm going to pray. I'm going to stand in the gap for this village. I'm going to stand in the gap for this church. It's not just in us. This has a body of Christ. Let us stand together and let's pray for these that can't get a pastor. Add it to your daily prayer list. Stand in the gap and ask what the Lord is saying over these places. So I'm asking you today, would you partner with us? Would you answer the call to pray? This is, I'm so thankful for what God is doing in Pakistan, but there's a great need here in Alaska as well. And this is something we can do. This is something you can do um, as we reach out to these places. And I just appreciate this time and I honor your pastor today and the burden that he has. And I thank you for this opportunity to share today. Many years ago, I, I, th I th had this same idea come to my heart, and God never allowed me to do it. 
But I, I said, we need a pastor that just travels to all these empty churches and keeps, keeps them healthy until they get a permanent pastor. And Jared felt the Lord directing him to that. And I'm so excited. And I would like for our church to take missions teams to these villages, yes. to do children's outreaches and teen outreaches and, and do our own type of crusades for the, for the villages. Because just because God opened the door to Pakistan for us doesn't mean that we forget about those that are right here in our own state that need Jesus. Amen. So I want you to join me today and let's pray for Jared. And let's pray for, for God to move right here. Father, we just thank You for Jared and his family. I bless them in the name of Jesus. And Lord, You've promised that You are our provider. That You, Lord, will provide all of our needs according to Your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Lord, we bless Him. We bless this ministry. We pray, Lord, that You would open the doors in these churches. We pray for permanent pastors. But until there are permanent pastors in these villages, Lord, we thank You for Jared willing to go and to minister. So, Lord, we ask You to pour out Your Holy Spirit upon him. Lord, we pray for miracles and signs and wonders. We pray for these villages to be saved in the name of Jesus. Lord, from the greatest to the least, that they would come to know Christ as Savior and Lord. And Lord, we just bless this ministry. And Lord, we thank You for Him. And we just rejoice, Lord, in what You're doing. And Lord, we thank You for it. And we ask it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. And Father, in closing today, Lord, I pray that we would always have a heart for the Great Commission. Lord, that we ourselves would be hungry for You. Lord, that our children would be precious to You. Lord, that we would be honoring and welcoming of others. And Lord, I pray that we would never forget it's not by might nor by power, but by Your Spirit. Lord, that we would believe You for healings and miracles. We would believe You for signs and wonders. We would believe You, Lord, that Your Holy Spirit will empower us and guide us and direct us. Lord, in these last days as the deep darkness covers the people, You've promised to pour out Your Holy Spirit on all flesh. And Lord, we receive that. Pour out Your Spirit, Pour out your spirit. And we ask it in Jesus' glorious name. Amen. Amen.
Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to connecting with you next time. And don't forget, you can support us by giving through the Church Center app or by going online at summitwc.com give.